Hello, this is Jesse Weiler from Adorama's Bulletin. Today I sat down with Richard Budd, who is the Director of Marriage and Family Life for the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. And we talk about the differences between liturgy and devotions, and how that's played into life during a pandemic. So without further ado, an Adoramus interview. Hello, I am Jesse Weiler from Adoramus Bulletin, here with Richard Budd from the Diocese of Lansing, Michigan. How are you doing today, Richard? I'm doing great. It's nice and sunny out. It's uh, not too hot outside, so it's a nice kind of fall day. I'm feeling good. Excellent. Well, I just finished reading your article for Adoramus Bulletin entitled Outside Voice and Inside Voice, How Domestic Liturgy and Devotions Offer Promise for the Universal Church, which is, that's the whole article. It's just the title there, I think, right? (laughs) It's it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? (laughs) That's just I can the, say I didn't title it. I just, uh, oh. I just submitted. <laughs> well, I'll have some choice words for Christopher Carstens. I think. <laughs> okay. um, no, I, I very, very much am interested in this topic, and I love the way that you framed it. And I think now more than ever, especially since we've had to have a bunch of stay-at-home masses, and and yeah. I will get there, but I can commiserate with you on some of your experiences. But <laughs> but now more than ever. I think we are very, very able to see those differences. And I, I'm very curious as to see how the general population of Catholics, uh, how, how they react or where they go from this point. Because I do think we're at a turning point where we've been shown devotion and liturgy in, in a really, you know, torn down way. And so I'm very interested to see where the culture is going to lead us. But, but let's, start, let's start there. Let's start with uh, COVID. So I'm assuming in March, just like everybody else, that you got a bunch of orders from the diocese that you were going to shut down the masses and that everybody had to start watching mass online. Give me a little perspective of what that was like for your family at first and how you felt like you were supposed to prepare for that. Sure. So, you know, I have... Uh, small children. My oldest uh, is four and um, I have a two-year-old and and one that just turned one. So we like to pack them in nice and tight. Um, And uh, when, when the masses uh, were, the public masses were canceled, um, my wife and I knew that it was very important for us to continue honoring the Lord's day through worship. And so um, we, you know, our, local parish was offering mass on online live streamed and so we were very particular about how we set up the living room table and and made our little altar and you know we have a family altar um that's kind of has a permanent spot in our home but we wanted to set it up special for sunday so the kids would carry the icons uh, from the family altar to our new kind of Sunday table altar, and um, and we'd light the candle and and do all of that, and then we'd um, you know everybody would dress up in their Sunday best, just like they would when they would go to mass on Sunday, and then we would sit down and press play on YouTube, um, and the you know our kids are young and so they they act up uh, normally at mass, but usually there's a sense that they're there's they're at something different when they're at the mass um but here they were just in their living room <laughs> and as much as mom and dad were trying to convince them that this was something different uh it, it really wasn't and so 
um, they wanted to play and, and run around and, and, and do what they do. And for my wife and I, this was very stressful because we were trying to maintain our Sunday worship. Um, and so just at, at one point, um, we just had a conversation that, listen, we're, we're trying to be at mass and we're not at mass. Mm-hmm. Um, and if anything, we're watching other people be at mass. Uh, and you know, for worshiping God, you know, as much as we could, that it was fine. But, um, we realized that we didn't need to feel obliged to watch, uh, the mass online. Um, and so we, we worked out other ways in which we could bring the kids into prayer, uh, on Sundays. And that basically kind of, um, boiled down to reading the, the Sunday readings and having a age, you know, level conversation, um, with the kids, you know, it was nice that it was during Lent so that, cause Lent's got some great stories in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, as well as Easter time. And so we were able to have those conversations with the kids. Um, and we just continued that on um, until we were able to return back to Mass. Now, I am in the same position. I actually have three young kids myself, five, mm. three, and almost one. Oh, yeah, and we're right we're there. Right yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> and from my personal experience, and, and maybe this reflects your experience and, and others as well, but I, I know that we did the same thing. We started really strong and we said, oh, this is you know, this is a obstacle, but we, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it in the right way. We're going to yeah. do ever, we're going to do all of the actions. We're going to fully participate as much as we can. But then I noticed in my ability to actually, you know, lead my family in this, in this time of struggle for, for the liturgy and for sacramental life, I started to notice that every week it just got harder and harder mm. to really stay in tune with that. And mm. that, you know, that gave way to like, okay, well, I'd still dress nice, but I maybe wouldn't dress as nice as I would if I was going <laughs> into mass or, or, you know, and then I had this image as you were describing processing the icons that maybe you had one of your oldest children process in with the TV remote so that <laughs> they could incense it and then press play and watch Bishop Barron, you know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, so I can definitely uh, commiserate there, but but now I think like I like I had alluded to in the beginning, I think this really showed us where the difference between liturgy and devotion is. And I think a, a large number of Catholics maybe went down that road of personal piety and devotion uh, when it, this really is supposed to be a liturgical thing. And so, how do you do liturgy? when there is no liturgy available, no public liturgy available to you. So take me into that next stage where you're sure. starting to realize, okay, we need to sort these two things out because what, what our kids may think is that we're doing evening prayer together or we're doing morning prayer together. And they may just think that this is something that we as a family do when in fact, I'm really trying to point them towards formal public liturgy. So, yeah, so the, there's a couple of different things that were going on. Uh, one was, you know, on social media, I saw people uh, using phrases like, uh, you know, I, I'm attending mass on Facebook. And that just was striking me very odd. You, and um, as I thought more about it and, and um, reflected on it with my wife, that's where we kind of came up with the, the phrase of like, we weren't actually attending the mass. We were watching other people attend the mass. Um, because they're the, the sacramentality of your presence is very important. Like you can't um, just watch it streamed and, and necessarily say you've attended. Um, 
So as we reflected on what Sunday was all about, um, you know, we realized that the divine command from God is to worship God on Sunday and to rest. Uh, it's not necessarily to attend mass. Now, the way the church interprets that divine command, uh, most often in normal times is you worship God through attending the mass. Um, but since the mass was not available to us, um, that, um, church precept wasn't, um, in force, but the divine command to worship God was still in force. So while we couldn't have the liturgy, um, there was another form of prayer that was still available to us. And that was devotional prayer. Um, and so I went back to, um, a book that I had read a few years earlier, Romano Guardini's uh, Spirit of the Liturgy. And he opens the book with this distinction between liturgical prayer and devotional prayer. and just kind of refreshed my memory. And, um, you know, the, the devotional prayer of the church is particular to time and place, um, to culture and to people, uh, where liturgical prayer is something that transcends that. And so, in a very true and real sense, we can say that the entire, um, the entire church is at every mass. Can't really say that about our St. Anne devotions or our um, novena to St. Joseph. Um, and so while we didn't have the liturgy available, we still had devotional prayer. And so we leaned into devotional prayer. Um, and we found that that was so much more life-giving um, than trying to watch mass online. Okay, so the next thing I want to talk about, we're going to get back here, but um, in the article you kind of laid out, you gave some historical examples of this concept that you call lost distinction between mm -hmm. uh, devotion and liturgy. And I want to talk a little bit about that because, and, and then we can revisit this at the end when we're looking at life with COVID now and, and where, we were going to, where we're going to go in the future. But you talk about how, after Vatican II, there was this lost distinction between liturgy and devotion. And I think I see this very clearly, especially with music or the way people want to worship. They want to be worshiping the way that they individually want to worship, something that is more engaging, more maybe a more emotional and reactive. And that became a group mentality. And we started to see that the liturgy itself started to move towards that of a devotion uh, of the people rather yeah. than the, the public worship. So yeah. can you speak a little to that um, and, and maybe what you were discovering in, in your research about that? Sure. You know, this was something that I kind of had noticed, but didn't really have any, it was more anecdotal than, I mean, you could talk to somebody and go, doesn't the mass seem like it's become this? Uh, but there was no like real data to, to uh, make a case, I guess. And so when I was working on the article, I was just, kind of a shot in the dark looking for any sort of, of information on this. And I found that the University of Notre Dame had done a study on parish life um, less than 20 years after the council in the early 80s. And so uh, they clearly pointed out uh, with no ambiguity that the, the common devotions that had been present in parishes at the beginning of the 20th century were no longer present. Um, and they even quoted Flannery O'Connor at one point who uh, called it the, the, the novena rosary 
style of religion. Um, and that had all but disappeared in the eighties or at least by the eighties. And so, um, one of the, one of the conclusions that the study itself had said was that, uh, one of the most, uh, visible indicators of this change in the, the devotional practices of Catholics was that the mass, the Sunday liturgies were becoming, um, wildly varied. Um, and so within the same, uh, parish, you could have very different styles of liturgy depending on what mass you went to. And I think most of us in parishes, um, today recognize kind of the, um, you know, the 8 a.m. contemporary music mass, and you've got the maybe 11 o'clock, more maybe traditional hymnody uh, mass. And then you've got, you know, the Saturday evening, no mass, uh, no music at all. Just get everybody in and out as fast as possible mass. Um, and so really it became to like, well, what kind of, what, what mass people are you? You know, are you the, are you contemporary mass people? Or are you traditional mass people? Um, and, pa- and parishes do that too. You know, you go, you, you pick your parish. The one exactly. that has, oh, well, yeah, that's, that's the other thing too. There's but, no more, there's no more geographical parish. It doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore. Exactly. And so, uh, the liturgy's quality of being kind of a standard objective thing that every, that kind of unites us all. Um, because when we're all praying the creed, you know, 300 people praying the creed at the exact same time, what liturgy does is it unites the variety of people um, that are present. Uh, liturgy wasn't having that same effect um, in, a, in a more subjective way. Uh, obviously, on the objective level, level, the liturgy still unites, you know, and, and has a... Um, has a that, that character of, of bringing all together, but uh, as the subjective experience of those attending the mass, um, there, it was, it's widely varied. And so rather than having uh, kind of a, a, a common thing that we all come together on Sunday, uh, you know, two people who go to the same mass might never even be aware of each other because they never go to another mass outside right. that time. Um, so, um, yeah, finding that study from the University of Notre Dame really was, um, I think, made the, made the article um, beyond uh, just some anecdotal storytelling. I think going beyond that, the stories that I've heard um, about, you know, especially from those uh, figures of the liturgical movement leading up to Vatican II, there was this sense that maybe people were not actively participating and they were doing devotions during the liturgy. And so I, I find this kind of ironic because it's like, it's almost like we're the Israelites. I always, I always give the Israelites a hard time because I was just like, come on, man, like God told you to do that and, right. and you just didn't do it. And then here, here we are, figures of the liturgical movement and the church saying, okay, you know what? You guys were not really doing active participation, so let's make some things happen and let's get you actively participating. And instead we say, oh, well, we don't, if we can't do our devotions anymore, like, can we just do the mass in a devotional way. And, and we're exactly. like, no, no, that's, that's not what we're doing here. And, and it's so like that, that meme with the little girl, why not both? Right. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, really. I mean, the Guardini in the spirit of liturgy was, was shared that one of his concerns 
was that the liturgical character would become too devotional or that devotional prayer could take on too much of a liturgical character and that each needed to be uh, respected in their proper um, spheres. So let's bring this uh, back to COVID now because, okay, so we, we've seen some of that happen. We've also seen, like, like we were discussing earlier, how, you know, when, when this gets stripped, either when we see it in person and we don't see these things the way that they're supposed to be seen, or we're not able to attend at all to, to you know, participate in the glorification of God and the sanctification of mankind, I think we can start to really see some differences between devotion and liturgy. Mm-hmm. Now, where does that take us? after this, after, after COVID's done, when we finally see some healing and we're able to, you know, be in public together again, where, where are we going to go? Where, where do you see devotion and liturgy? Do you think they're just going to, we're just going to go back to what we were doing before where you kind of pick your variety of mass? Are we going to start to see maybe some liturgical renewal? I can tell you what I hope and I can tell you what I think will happen. Um, I hope those are the same thing. (laughs) Well, um, you know, the, the, the pessimist in me says that once we can all go back, um, we'll just, you know, people will just pick up where they, they left off. Um, but I don't know that it'll just be um, as if, you know, COVID never happened. I, I think that there will be an effect. Uh, it just might not be as wide ranging as I would hope. Um, so that's the difference between what I hope and what I think. Um, I, you know, one of the characteristics about devotional prayer is that unlike the liturgy, which transcends time and space, the devotional prayer is very much about expressing its time and its place. And so devotional prayer lends itself to being uh, an expression of, of the people uh, that are, that are, um, that are praying it. And so it's not as if we need to resurrect a bunch of old devotional practices that have been dormant. Um, we can create new devotionals uh, for, you know, the 20th century, uh, 21st century um, that reflect a local character and a local um, people. Um, so my hope is that people take time to reflect on their um, spirituality and what um, helps them to express um, their piety to God. Um, you know, it, maybe that uh, is a um, kind of a, a praise and worship type um, night of adoration. Maybe it's devotion to um, one of our newer saints that have been canonized, uh, like John Henry Newman or something like that. Um, the, the possibilities are endless with devotional prayer. And so you can start to get into examples, uh, but you'll just be talking forever. So, um, you know, the, the divine mercy chaplet is a devotion that has caught a lot of steam, I think over the last 20, 30 years. Um, so my hope is that parishes see the distinction between the liturgy and, and then see the, the value of devotional prayer and then cultivate them. You know, I would love to see parishes uh, with a particular um, saint's feast do a Eucharistic procession through the streets on that saint's feast day. Uh, That was something that we saw popping up on social media quite a bit was um, Eucharistic processions in the streets. Um, Here in Michigan, we had 
the uh, parishes that brought the Eucharist through the neighborhoods. It was just the the two priests at the parish. They just they just got the um, the monstrance out and a uh, a bucket of holy water, and they just walked the parish uh, the parish boundaries with the 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 holy Eucharist. Um, so I'd love to see Eucharistic processions return for various re- various reasons throughout the year. Um, but I think the way that this is going to have to happen, and this is the direction I took in the uh, in the article, is that the the family is going to have to show its interest in these things. Um, and um, I think the family, because of its uh, domestic character, um, can own the devotional life um, in a particular way and promote it in a particular way. Um, and so I think, uh, the family here now has a real part to play as we move into post COVID. Um, and so that's, that's my hope. I, I totally agree. And I think, the, you know, the domestic church is very, something I'm very much interested in myself and I've always, um, you know, my kids are still young like yours. And I think I still have some time to really formulate, but I would really love to get a good, you know, progressive solemnity for the domestic church going with oh. my family where, you know, it's the feast of St. Lawrence and we, and we grill on that day because yeah, he's, he's, the, he's the patron saint of barbecue chefs, uh-huh. you know, or have like a joke writing contest. Cause he's also the patron of, uh, of comics. So, you know, I think there's all these things that we can do to really, uh, bring the liturgy into our devotions in a way that is good for the domestic church. And I, 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 again, I hope with you in the same, in the same vein. So we'll, we'll see where things go, but um, if they're not going in the right direction, then I expect to have you write another article for Adoramus, <laughs> uh, making sure everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. Well, you know, the, the line that has guided me um, in, in reflecting on the, the domestic church is Pope Paul VI in reflecting on the domestic church said that there should be found in every Christian family, the various aspects of the entire church. And so if it's present in the church or if it is a way in which the church acts, it should be present in the domestic church. And so that's where, you know, kind of the idea of, of domestic liturgies and domestic devotions came from, but also, uh, you know, feasting and celebrating you know one of the things that we do in our family is on one of the one of the kids uh, baptism days we pull out the whole family's baptismal candles and we light the candles um and we sing them a little baptism song and and they blow out their baptism candle um and we you know we'll have cake or dessert or, or whatever um because we want to cultivate the idea that your baptism day is just as important if not more important definitely more important than your birthday um, because it's the day that you were born into eternal life. And so, uh, those are just little ways in celebrating the, the faith. Um, you know, it can be everything from having the, the, how the, how you decorate your home. One of the goals that we had was a crucifix in every room so that wherever the, wherever you are in our house, uh, the message of Jesus Christ crucified is, is, uh, present to you. So, um, you know, I, I think that when a family has kind of developed their particular devotional uh, life, and whether or not that be a way of celebrating a, an event or um, maybe taking on a patron saint of your family and really kind of making it a big deal um, 
parents take off of work, you know, for the, a, a certain feast day or whatnot. For us, it's St. John Paul II. Um, we named our, our oldest son after John Paul. And so when it's his feast day, you know, it's a big deal in our family. You named him, um, you named him Carol? <laughs> no, we named him John Paul. <laughs> I, I flirted with the idea of a middle name, but oh, uh, my, my wife said no. Um, <laughs> um, and we named our second son Benedict, but that's a story for another time. Um, but uh, once you've kind of established your own home kind of devotional life, invite other families in. Mm-hmm. have them come celebrate with you. One of the things that we started to try to do last year is before we go trick-or-treating on Halloween as we pray the Liturgy of the Hours um, for uh, Evening Prayer 1 for the, the, uh, the Feast of All Saints. And so that way, the trick-or-treating kind of uh, festivities are brought into the, the church's larger liturgical life. Um, and we invited other families to join us in doing that. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Richard. Uh, this has been a really great conversation, and we'll be posting this on our, our website, adoramus.org. And I will certainly post a link to the original article in the show notes of the, the episode. And I hope, to, I hope we don't have to have you come back on and tell us all the things that are going wrong. I hope we can have you back on. And, Let's try to keep it positive. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So thank you so much for your time. God bless. Thank you.